everybody. If I haven't gotten the pleasure to meet you yet, my name is Maddie. I'm one of the teachers here. And as always, it just feels good to be with your church family. Doesn't it feel good, you know, seeing all these spaces, gathering together, hearing the chatter of conversations, truly fills my heart with so much joy. And this is how it's supposed to be, God's people meeting together. So before we dive in, our passage is in Matthew. We're just going to take a minute some silence. So close your eyes. I always like starting my sermons oftentimes in this way just because it helps kind of uh, take in just some big deep breaths as I'm sure you had maybe some chaos getting here to church scrambling to get all the kids ready or um, maybe you just have some some heaviness on your shoulders some weight that you're bringing in and you're just distracted and maybe it just took a lot to even get you here. (laughs) But we just take a deep breath and recognize the value of gathering here together and the beauty that comes when we open up God's word. So Father, right now I just ask that your word would be illuminated that we would see you in the scriptures, that we would be challenged, that your spirit would convict us, that we could be changed, that we can interact with you tonight, that we wouldn't let tonight go by, or that it's just one more thing really quickly to rush through our week, but Father, that we can just pause, sit in your word, sit in your presence, Lord, and that is such a sweet place to be. So we thank you for who you are, that you even allow us to do this and come together and gather. We know that you are here with us, Lord. We thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. So our passage in Matthew tonight um, does talk about the judgment day. End times, if you will, which we know at least one person is really excited about. And I know that whenever I come to passages like this, and this has been a theme as Michael has taught on some of these passages in the last like couple chapters here in Matthew, is we kind of just come to these texts with a lot of assumptions of what, quote, the end times mean. And it's almost like you come across a passage and you get really excited like, oh yeah, what's the end times gonna be like? Jesus is talking about it, and I'm excited to learn about it. And it's like we have this set of categories of what we think is gonna happen. And then we come to passages like this and we try and insert those passages into those categories. And we need to stop all of that. (laughs) We need to flip that out, to get rid of that, and instead come to the text, let the text, you know, we kind of like rest under the text. Let it say what it is trying to say. And let that inform what our categories are. So when I said, judgment day or end times, whatever categories came to your mind, just erase them. We're, not, we're letting the passage talk about itself and letting it teach us something tonight. So tonight's passage um, has some rich language about two specific things, the son of man, and then there is a separating of sheep and goats. So I have an image here of a mountain And so what I want to do tonight is displayed in this image 
is I want to be able to read some Old Testament passages and prophecies, which help us get the full image. Because I think if we just read our passage tonight, we're just going to get what this front, kind of at the bottom, what that front mountain is. It's a mountain, and it's beautiful, and we learn a lot if that's all we're doing when we read our passage. But when we read some of these other Old Testament prophecies, they're all of those mountains in the background. And suddenly, when we have these passages in their full context, we have a much more beautiful image. And honestly, even when I look at this image, I think this is what studying the Bible is. This is a lifetime of following Jesus. And how wonderful is it that even for a lifetime, we get to keep studying God's word and this image just becomes more and more beautiful. Even right now, it's a beautiful image, but the more we study, the more we learn about the Lord and how he has revealed himself through his word, this image just gets more and more beautiful. And we realize what a masterpiece it is. And then you can zoom in on one tiny little mountain peak and, and study that. So this is just a helpful, hopefully helpful image that I kind of think about when I am trying to read the full context of when Jesus is talking and what he's saying. So, don't mind me. Our passages that we're going to start out in is in Daniel 7 and Ezekiel 34. So I want to read just a couple of verses out of our passage in Matthew so we can kind of see why we're going to these passages. So, should be on the screen, but Matthew 25, verse 31, just the beginning part of our passage tonight is where we're going to start. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the other goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, as you can imagine, again, that passage, just the front of that mountain, you're like, okay, cool. There's some sort of judgment. There's sheep and goats. That doesn't mean a lot to me, but I'm sure it's important. What does this even mean? So, the first Old Testament passage we're going to look at is Daniel 7 to help understand the language of the Son of Man. So turn with me. If you aren't familiar with Daniel 7, it's uh, in your Old Testament. Flip to Daniel 7 or it's going to be on the screen for you. So some context about the book of Daniel. He is in exile. He is in Babylon. That's where he's at when he's writing these things. He has a lot of dreams and visions, and he's able to interpret them. That's something that's really special about Daniel. And in Daniel 7, starting in verse 9, there's this image of something that is called the Ancient of Days. So, verse 9. This is Daniel saying, I kept looking up until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow, and the hair on his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him, and the myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court sat and the books were opened. So we have this fire about this ancient of days. This is all very poetic. 
language that is difficult to understand, but this fire, which oftentimes is like an all-consuming fire or a purifying fire. We have snow, which would represent this holiness and purity about the Ancient of Days. We have thousands upon thousands of people who are there just in reverence about this Ancient of Days. And then Daniel sees another image, Daniel 7, verse 13, this reads, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. So the Son of Man was presented before the Ancient of Days, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Now this passage is once again rich with language. Clouds of heaven, we know that Yahweh traveled in a pillar of clouds when he was guiding the Israelites out of Egypt. Uh, We have this everlasting dominion, a kingdom which will not be destroyed, which is language from 2 Samuel 7, which is where God promises to David, there will be a descendant of yours, a king, who will be given a kingdom which will never end. So in Daniel's day, Daniel had many stories of what this Messiah, of what this anointed one would look like, who will reign in a kingdom forever. And we know that this prophecy still has yet to be fulfilled because in Revelation 1-7 is when we learn where it actually will be fulfilled. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. That is a quote directly from Daniel 7. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will mourn over him, over the fact that they pierced the Messiah. So Daniel is looking ahead to something that he probably doesn't know very much about. And so then when Jesus is referencing this son of man, he then is placing himself in the seat of the son of man. He is talking about a future state of his own where he will be glorified in this new way. Okay, so Daniel 7. We know this description of what will happen when the Son of Man comes in glory on the clouds. But what is one of the things that he's going to do when he comes in glory? He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Now, this is where Ezekiel 34 comes in. So, turn to Ezekiel 34, or again, it'll be on the screen. This is where we learn what the Son of Man is going to do. So the beginning of this chapter, just because this is a long chapter, I'm not going to read it all. The beginning of the chapter of Ezekiel 34 is talking to the shepherds of Israel. God is essentially calling out the shepherds, saying, you are being very bad shepherds. You are not taking care of your sheep. You are selfishly feeding yourself. You are not taking care of those who are under you. So, leaders of Israel, you are not taking care of your people. So it's just this big metaphor of shepherds and sheep. So, they are not um, protecting their people from prey. They are letting the beasts or other nations come in and attack them. And so, the people have not been shepherded well. And then in Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 11... I'll read through verse 15. For thus says the Lord, behold, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. 
As a shepherd cares for his herd, in the day when he is among his scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep, and I will deliver them from all the places to which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them out into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in a good pasture and their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord. So while Yahweh is identifying these leaders of Israel, they're being bad shepherds, he now says, I will be the shepherd. I will seek them out. I will care for my sheep. I will deliver my sheep. I will gather them. I will bring them to their own land. They'll be on mountains and streams. They'll be in a good pasture. They'll lie down on good grazing ground. They will... I will lead them to rest? Is any of this language popping out to you? <laughs> because this is screaming Psalm 23 to me. And ultimately, this is also garden imagery. This is where Yahweh wants to be with his people and gather his people to a place of rest, to this rich land where they will be free from attacks. So, as Yahweh is doing that, I will be the shepherd over the sheep he says, essentially, in order to do that, I need to separate the sheep from the goats. So further down in Ezekiel 34, again, we're not going to read it all because there's a lot, um, but he says he will seek out the lost, bind up the broken, strengthen the sick, but the fat and the strong he will destroy. I will feed them with their judgment I will judge them between the rams and the male goats. I will separate the healthy from the unhealthy. More, you know, later on the, in the passage, I will make them a place of blessing for the good sheep. I will cause showers and blessings to come upon them. No longer will nations pray against these sheep. So this passage is Yahweh seeking out his people, separating the bad, and taking and bringing the good back into himself. So it's a really beautiful thing where these sheep will be in this wonderful place where they will have blessing and abundance. God himself will be the good shepherd. But again, that separation of the good and the bad has to happen. Okay, now, let's take our two passages. We, we have our Daniel 7, what the Son of Man coming on clouds looks like, and then we have our Ezekiel 34, what the separation of the sheep and the goats looks like. And now we have our image of the mountain again. We have our context that now we can take with us to read our full passage as it informs what it means for us today. Okay, let's get into our whole passage. Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. I'm going to read the whole thing. Now hopefully when you read these first few verses again, there's just a little bit more to them because you have these images that are now glowing, if you will. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, 
Come, you who are blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. When the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? So they're like, okay, you said we did all these things to you. Don't remember that happening. When was that again? (laughs) And in verse 40, he says, the king will answer to them, saying, truly I say to you, To the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, you did not invite me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will also answer, Lord, wait, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and we did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So where we had this context of what the judgment day was, We now know what Jesus intends for his people and the consequences for those who do not follow him. So we have our right and the left. Right, go sheeps. Left, go goats. The sheep and goats, as you maybe would guess, are very common, probably the most common of the smaller domestic animals, and sheep were more prized than goats. And so while these hearers of these words did have the biblical context of separating sheep from goats, even in a practical sense, this was actually a common practice for shepherds. Uh, Sheep and goats grazed together in the fields, and most commentators believe that the goats were actually more sensitive to the cold, so at nighttime they actually did need to be separated from the sheep and then brought inside so that they could stay warm and the sheep could stay outside. So Jesus is using this actually very practical metaphor of something that the shepherds would know while also connecting to this language of Ezekiel 34 to describe what's gonna happen on Judgment Day, which is just wild if you ask me when we think about uh, the things that Jesus says are just so beyond us. And that's why I go back to, you know, the mountain image will just continue to be more and more clear the more we study it. Because at first glance you're like, what? What does this even mean? So being at the right hand of the Father where the sheep are is common language just kind of all over the text. You know, in Exodus, there's language of your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, shatters the enemy, or even my hand, my right hand laid the foundation of the earth and spread out the heavens in Isaiah. So there's power oftentimes associated with Yahweh and his right hand. And then Jesus is also seated at the right hand of God. This is language we see in the New Testament. A lot of New Testament writers bring this up. In Romans, Jesus is the one who died, but more than that, he was raised and he is at the right hand of God. Or in Hebrews 1, 
Jesus, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. So it makes sense that the people, the sheep who are following Jesus, are at his right hand, not his left. So then there's just this comparison of the two groups. We have this long list that is repeated multiple times on both sides for the sheep and the goats. I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. R.T. France, a scholar says, it's clearly this list, it's clearly meant to be remembered as a guide to practical discipleship. This is, there's a reason why it was repeated multiple times. And how I view it is this is a list of radical hospitality. So for example, a stranger visiting a town legitimately did not have a place to stay. And there's Old Testament stories of people who would visit a new town and legitimately were ready to sleep in the town square unless they were invited in. They didn't know where else to go. So we can joke like, oh yeah, there wasn't a Best Western for them to go to. But like legitimately, there wasn't a Best Western for them to go to. Um, they, they didn't have options unless they were invited by someone into their home, into their private home. And so this duty of hospitality was taken very seriously. And Jesus praises those who practiced that hospitality. Even Jesus himself says, the foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus was very familiar with this, that he got to where he was because of the generosity of others. You know, nakedness, don't having, not having clothes is a sign of poverty. They were in, unable to buy their own clothes or even visiting someone in prison. No one visited prison for any reason. They avoided prison like the plague because prisoners were treated horribly and were viewed as not normal because they did something very bad to be in prison. So no one's trying to visit anyone in prison. But Jesus has this visit them in prison. He didn't even say what they needed to do in prison, but even the simple fact of visiting someone in prison is just astonishing enough that it just glowed as this wonderful act of kindness to treat someone in prison just as a normal human being who deserved that same kind of love. So the people on the right, they're confused, the sheep. Like I said, we don't remember doing this, Jesus. When, when were you sick and we took care of you or don't remember you being in prison? And it's not even like Jesus was just saying when someone was sick, he says, when I was sick. And in verse 40, he answers this question. The king will answer to them saying, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. So the brothers, Jesus could be referencing his disciples or even just his followers. But then of course, even the least of them, the people who are the very least important people the lowly people, every time you served my people, the people you know and love, or even the most unimportant person you can think of, you served me too. And in Matthew 10, 40, Jesus, which we studied probably like two years ago in Matthew 10, um, Jesus said, he who receives you, disciples, receives me, and he who receives me, receives him who sent me, the Father. 
So this just helps us understand to receive a disciple is to receive Jesus. So then on the flip side, the people on the left, they're like, whoa, you know, don't be mad at us. We also don't remember denying you something because we didn't, we didn't see you. And, and really we understand that they were just too concerned with themselves, too selfish to notice that someone was in need around them. And so by forgetting about the least of these, they also forgot about Jesus. So we have two eternal responses here. In verse 34, the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed of my father, and inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Their reward, come. Come into eternal life. And those on the left, verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Their reward, depart from me. Depart from me into eternal punishment. So notice here what was prepared for before the foundation of the world. It was for man to inherit the kingdom. That's in verse 34. Inherit the kingdom prepared to you from the foundation of the world. This was always the plan. And what was prepared for the people on the left, it was actually an eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and the angels. This was not a fire that was intended for people who didn't follow Jesus. This was intended for, Jesus doesn't want people to go here. That's what I'm getting at. Jesus intended for his people to be with him. But what we have here is the separation of those who do not believe in the name of Jesus and who do not walk in his kingdom. So it's just very important to know if you haven't already gotten this, it's just I have to say it that this is not a passage that says those who are saved and those who good, do good deeds go to heaven and those who are saved who don't good, do good deeds go to hell. That's not what this text is saying. This text instead is describing a future state of the risen and reigning King Jesus who is gathering his sheep, his people, back to himself, removing from the world that which is against his kingdom so that man and God can dwell together again. That's what's going on here. And so, in doing so, Jesus is giving an ethic in which he is separating the righteous from the unrighteous. The righteous are those who place themselves under the kingship of Jesus and are walking in his kingdom. And so walking in his kingdom includes serving the lowly, the insignificant, and the unimportant. Leon Morris, one of our favorite Bible scholars here that we quote a lot, he is, uh, quote, he is saying that God has blessed them and brought them into his kingdom, and he proceeds to cite evidence that shows that they do in fact belong in that kingdom. Their lives are evidence that God has been at work in them. That's what these good deeds are. So it's not, should followers of Jesus care for the lowly people in the world, but rather, followers of Jesus do care for the lowly people in the world, because this is how Jesus taught them to live. This is how I think of it. It makes me think of friendships. I feel like there's two key things that come when you're friends with someone. One is taking them to the airport, and two is helping someone move. 
They're just things that come when you're, when you're friends with someone. It's always inconvenient. Every single time it's inconvenient to take someone to the airport. It's probably really early in the morning or it's really late at night. It's an hour drive. It's a two-hour drive <laughs> there and back. But it's just one of those things that you do. Someone needs a ride to the airport and you just give them a ride. It's not like a, oh, sorry, hope you make it to the airport. Of course, it's like, this is what you do. And, and when someone's moving, hey, they send out the text, the group text, uh, we could really use a crew of help. Uh, we're moving on Saturday. We'll have pizza. Um, we could just like love it if you could, you know, many hands make light work. And you're kind of like, oh, no. <laughs> but you just know they need help moving. There's a lot of boxes. There's a lot to do. And hopefully when you get there on Saturday morning, everything is packed. And you're not helping them finish packing last minute things. Uh, and then, you know, at 5 p.m. or something, you're sitting around eating pizza like, ah, yeah, this was inconvenient. I didn't want to get up early on my Saturday and help someone move, but this is what you do. You know, this is, it, it's never you meet someone new and you think, I want to be your friend. Now, in order to be my friend, I need you to take me to the airport and I need you to help me move if I ever move. It just comes with it. That's what happens when you're friends with someone. And that's, that's the same thing happening here. When you follow Jesus, what you do is care for the lowly. So this idea of doing a good deed for Christians, but not to the outsiders, is totally foreign to the teachings of Jesus. That's just not how it goes. That's not how Jesus' kingdom works. Another quote from Leon Morris on what these deeds meant for the righteous that I really like. He says, They are now called the righteous, what God has done in them has transformed them into people who are acceptable in his sight and who accordingly do deeds like those Jesus has listed. Their salvation did not depend on their good works, for in doing those works, they must have known that they were doing things that other people did not do. But clearly their kindness to the needy was not in order to gain a reward and merit salvation, but was part of the way they lived in response to what Christ had done in and for them. It's just this natural response to how Jesus has changed our lives, that it just flows into these areas. So just to bring it all back, you know, we started with these Old Testament passages. How do they even help us with the understanding of our passage tonight? Well, this is judgment time. This is what Jesus is talking about. The time that the Son of Man is coming in the clouds to finally be the good shepherd of his people and to gather his sheep. And Jesus is bringing this up. How you cared for one another as a marker of being in my kingdom. He brings this up during judgment time. So Jesus is not just saying to take care of the lowly. He's saying at the time of judgment, it is important if you did this part of following Jesus. That's actually really significant if you think about it. Another interesting point is Matthew in writing his gospel. This is one of the last things that Matthew writes as a teaching of Jesus before we go into the passion of Jesus, before he starts to go towards the cross. This is one of the last things in kind of a chunk of teaching. So Matthew is even saying, this is important. 
This is what I want you to remember. This is kind of this last teaching of Jesus. And even as Jesus is going to the cross, he will still teach us and has wonderful things still to say. And all he has to say, you know, is one sentence and just flips you on your head like, oh, that was so good. But in this proper teaching, you know, Matthew still wanted to highlight that this is very important. So as followers of Jesus, we do not need to fear that we will be cast to the left as a goat. We are already saved and nothing can separate us from the love of God. But as a follower of Jesus, it is important for us to understand the weight of caring for the lowly and the unimportant. If you are in God's kingdom, this is a marker of God's kingdom. You do these things. They are not separate from one another. How you know that you are serving your master, Jesus, is when you serve the least of these. So as we close, I just want to spend some time in prayer so you can close your eyes. And I just have a couple of questions, just two questions for you to ponder as you consider what this means for you tonight. The first question I have for you is, how can you live with radical hospitality this week? You know, as a follower of Jesus and his kingdom, Think through what ways can you give your time or your resources, your money, maybe just your kindness and your words. How can you just give it away abundantly to others more than you ever have before? Next is who is the least of these that you have been overlooking? It could be one person. I trust that the Spirit maybe is just bringing someone or multiple people to your mind right now. The lowly, the unimportant person. I mean, it could be as simple as just the person who brings up your groceries that normally you wouldn't even look in their eyes because you're just busy moving along and maybe it just takes looking them in their eyes and asking them how their day was. Um, the person who pumps your gas, the person who hands you your coffee, or maybe it's someone that you know, the coworker who just does not deserve any kindness or respect, but you just still choose to help them with their workload or go out of your way to give them the love that every person deserves. Maybe just in caring for Jesus' disciples, the people you've forgotten about is just fellow believers in our city or around our world who could use prayer or financial support or your skills and knowledge to help in their ministry. Who is the least of these that you've been overlooking? Father, as you stir up our hearts to hopefully change, change in action, change who we haven't been treating kindly or who is the lowly, unimportant person who could use help or resources 
Lord, I ask that when we come across these scenarios, we connect them to you. Serving that person is serving you, Jesus. And with that mindset, it just revolutionizes how we walk in this world, how we view the interactions, the every, everyday interactions, the little interactions, as well as the big ones. So Lord, challenge us to live differently. Challenge us as we live in your kingdom to live as someone who is in your kingdom. Forgive us and give us the grace for the times that we have messed up and will mess up. Lord, we thank you that living for you is just a totally different way to live than what the world expects of us. We love you, Lord. In your name, amen.